I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Bob Stutman, one half of the two-person team of Stutman Switoski, on a mission to develop a plan of action to reverse the most devastating drug epidemic in American history, the opioid crisis. Bob was a DEA agent on the front lines in the war on drugs for over 25 years. Now he speaks to thousands of students, parents, and doctors each year to educate them and to understand the real whys and hows of the drug culture, straight from the mouths of the triers, users, and abusers. You can learn more about Bob and his very important work at the StutmanSwatowskiGroup.com. So Bob, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be with you again. So you're fighting the worst drug epidemic in American history, this opioid crisis. And I'm reading the news last week. Everybody knows about the dangers of opioids. Everyone knows about the overuse, the overprescription. And yet the FDA just approved a new opioid that is a super-powered opioid named Desuvia. Yeah, so let's put this in perspective because it's important to put it in perspective. Most of your listeners or readers remember when heroin was the drug from hell. It was the drug that addicted people, that killed people. It was the one drug you never wanted your kid to get involved with. We all remember that. Uh, If you were around in the 70s and 80s, you certainly remember that. How many entertainers died from heroin overdoses? Uh, Janis Joplin, we could just go on and on and on. Um, Then a drug came along that is 10 to 100 times stronger than heroin. And that drug is called fentanyl. Now, it's been around for quite a while. It was used as a patch medically uh, or it was used um, uh, by a stick in the, in, the, in the vein. So it was used only in hospitals, etc. Then they started making fentanyl on the street or they started importing it from China. So now heroin is a kiddie drug. People don't get worked up over heroin anymore. It's fentanyl. Fentanyl is now a drug that causes huge numbers of death. And I think just for perspective, fentanyl, I read, is 100 times more powerful than morphine? Yes. That's, that, it, much of it, not, not every dose is certainly, but and much even, of it can be. And even just a smallest amount of fentanyl, I think, can affect you, if not kill you, if it's not taken properly. Is that right? Many law enforcement agencies now wear latex gloves when they seize white powder, because if it's fentanyl, it can enter the body through the pores and, and, uh, and have very negative effects on and it. And yet, though, but let me clarify, isn't fentanyl also used in, this, in surgery in the operating rooms? Absolutely. Remember I said it was used uh, intravenously. That was a word I couldn't think of. And it's also, it used to be used as a patch, a uh, fentanyl patch. Um, but now they make it illegally. Which is so, different, to the, and that's used, though. So there's a difference between I'll call it the proper use of fentanyl by surgeons and anesthesiologists legitimately needing it 
for surgery versus street version. Yep. Well, guess what? That wasn't good enough. So now, on November 2nd, the FDA approved a, approved a drug called Desuvia, D-S-U-V-I-A. Uh, it's made by a company called AcelRx. It is 10 to 50 times stronger than fentanyl. And what problem were they solving? Like, what on earth was going through their head when they decided this was a good idea to approve something A, new, and B, that strong? Well, let me tell you that in a second. What happened first was the advisory committee for the FDA said, go ahead, except the chairman of the advisory committee, who is considered the addiction expert on the committee, wasn't there. So as soon as he got back and saw the advisory committee had told the FDA to go ahead, he wrote a letter basically saying, please don't, because the abuse potential of this drug is huge. How can that, point of order, Chairman, how can the committee be allowed to approve anything without the chairman? Yeah, good question. Good question. Uh, Clearly, you have been through Robert's Rules of Orders. And you know better than I do. But they did. And they should the read Robert's Rules of Order. says, please don't. And they do anyway. The problem, well, what DeSuvia was approved for was very good reason. The reason that the FDA had gave, it is a, it's a single dose little clip that you basically put under your tongue. So you don't have to swallow a pill. You don't have to get a needle. You put it under your tongue and you basically squirt it and it comes out. Great drug for GIs who get hurt in the theater that they are. I absolutely applaud that. Wait, hold on. Challenge. Challenge. Um, yes. <laughs> can they not have that same kind of delivery of the drugs that are available? They can't do a sublingual or a single dose? I have no clue. I am giving you the reason they approved this drug. That's a fair question, and I don't know the answer to it. So this was but approved it's for the mi- a rational question that somebody would think the FDA would be asked. So this was approved theoretically for military usage. No, it's approved for all hospital usage, where somebody needs the drug very quickly and in a very powerful amount. They used the military as the best example. So my answer would be, great, let us only distribute it to the military medics, not make it available to every hospital in the United States. Very so true, although... A drug although that is at least 100 times stronger than heroin, and at minimum 10 times stronger than fentanyl, and it is now being given to hospitals and all kinds of doctors in hospitals. And you said something before, and I don't know if you said it off mic or on mic, so let me repeat it, that one of the biggest problems in medicine is off-label uses. And this is going to be a drug that is off-labeled use, and it is going to become available on the streets very quickly. And again, 
it makes heroin and fentanyl look like kidney drugs. When you say it's going to be available on the streets, you mean someone you will... Do you have any question? Someone, no, no, no. Do you mean that someone will copy it and make a street version, or do you mean it's going to be misused, overused, overprescribed, you know, irresponsibly well, managed, just like the current? All of the above. That's what's happened to almost every strong morphine-like drug. We've copied them, or we've got them out of the hospital into the hands of users. And I have zero doubt or zero reason to believe the same will not happen with this drug. So has anyone tracked the money trail of this? No. That's a great question. I, and that's, as you know, it sounds like a smart answer, but not my job. Um, I could spend the rest of my life tracking the money trail. I would hope some congressional committee would do that. Um, but it's, it's, it's horrible. And uh, this is a total done deal. So even though the chairman wrote a letter. It's a done deal. It's a done, done deal. deal. It's approved. It's coming to a hospital near you. It's coming after January 1st. Can a, a can a private practitioner diagnose it? I mean, prescribe it? Yes, as long as it's in a hospital but if so now I'm in the hospital. Now right. they give me a dose of it. Now you they give me another that. dose of it. Right. Now I go you know home. It's not going to stay that way. Right, because I'm going to go home, right? Exactly. 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 I'm scared to death. Yep. And our FDA approved it. So let me try, let me take the high road for one brief minute. We did another interesting podcast with an anesthesiologist, Dr. David Shear. More and interesting than me. Different interesting. I'm only kidding you. <laughs> you, are, you truly take the cake on interesting, but this was a different interesting thing, and it had to do with opioids. He's an anesthesiologist, and he was talking about the shortage in the hospitals of opioids for what they really needed them for, for surgeries, right, for, for serious pain issues, yep. and that there were doctors actually that were now giving surgery, performing surgery with um, other substitute drugs that they didn't have the experience with, so they were putting patients at risk. Is it possible that they developed this drug to try and address those issues? I'm just trying to find some mod modicum of rationale for this. Well, if it is, they didn't say so. And I would assume they th would throw their best defense out there. So now what? So what, no. what should... Uh, you tell me. You're the expert. <laughs> Keep saying that. Uh, I'm not. I may be the expert. I'm not God. Okay. So in. Um, the, I have seen a study, and again, I think it was JAMA, but that said if we do everything right for the next decade, in other words, all of a sudden we make the right changes, we start to develop the right, all that kind of stuff, we will still have 650 thousand Americans die from drug overdose. That's incredible. 52,000 guys died in Vietnam, and we're still talking about it. Let me give you another analogy. When I say 72,000 Americans die a year from drug overdose, I'll give you my son as an example. He's on Wall Street. So he lives in numbers. And he said, Dad, that's not so many. There are 350 million Americans. And I said, you know, it's right. For these millenniums, 
you've got to put it in terms they understand. A hundred, roughly 203 people die a day from drug overdose, okay? In every commercial airline crash in the world over the past 10 years, the average number of people to die was 127. The plane crash last week, 127 people died, and I can't remember where it was. Uh, 127 people died. That's the average worldwide. 203 died from drug overdose. Switch that around. Can you imagine if we had a commercial airline crash in the United States every day of the year, 365 days a year? This country would be in arms. Our president, right or wrong, would shut down the airline industry, probably right. It would blow this country up if we had a commercial airline crash every day of the week. Well, excuse me, we have one-third more that die every single day from drug overdose, and we hardly even talk to it. You and I are sitting here trying to figure out the answers. Well, and I think it really it comes down to the individual. Let me ask you one quick more question on Desuvia, and then we'll kind of wrap this together. Is there any reason to think that Desuvia may be more um, addictive than other painkillers that are out there? If it's five, it's five to ten times stronger than fentanyl, does it become five to ten times more addictive? It probably becomes more addictive, yes. I haven't seen the studies on it, so I can't. I don't think there are any studies. I'm sure not. There it's will brand be new. Studies showing the addiction potential of Desuvia. And my prediction is it will certainly be higher than most drugs. Well, just because it's available. So let's let's try to go to the bottom line way of now what does somebody do with it? Just because it's available doesn't mean you have to accept it. Doesn't mean because the doctor's offering it, doesn't mean that you don't challenging them challenge them on what's your experience with it, what's the long term effects, what's the risk of it. I really think that the only way we're going to make any attempt, any any ability of movement at this whole issue is to go grassroots, that people have to realize it's starting at home. It's starting with, as you said in another podcast, parents having dinner with their children and communicating with them and being role models of proper use of medicine and not you know, using it as a crutch for every ache, pain, and problem that they come along with. Unless we get that messaging out there, that this is not the solution to our, our problems is not a pill, we are stuck in this maelstrom. You are so right. Here's the problem. The decision is made by the patient when they're in terrible pain, and they will do almost anything to deal with that pain. And I say that based on myself. I, I'm shocked I'm saying this on air. Uh, as you and I talked about, I had two surgeries on my back over the summer. One was nine and a half hours, 19 inch cut. And the second one, because I had an infection, was four and a half hours. The pain was horrible. I was prescribed oxycodone, which is not oxycontin, but it's close. Uh, five milligrams twice a day, very small amount. I, I wouldn't take them. The surgeon made me take them because he said, if you don't take them, you will not move. And if you don't move, 
you cannot rehab to get better. So you've got to take some to deal with your pain. So I took the absolute minimum amount to a day, five milligrams, which is a tiny amount. I took them for five weeks. Fifth week, I said, that's it. I'm done. No more. And I hope you can gather from our few hours of conversation. I'm pretty anti-opioids, so nobody's more uh, set on getting stopped and using them than me. I went through three nights of hell in withdrawal. I shook. I scratched. I couldn't sleep. I twitched. It was horrible, Sarah. And I looked at that bottle of oxycodone sitting on my night table, and you have no idea, me, how close I came to just saying, the hell with this, and taking a pill. It is tough to get rid off this stuff once you start. But I think you, I, I think you said a critical thing, though. You push the doctor to the lowest dose possible. Absolutely. And, and frighteningly, you had to push him to it. Yes, the doctors sure. need to start at the lowest dose, right. the lowest amount, the lowest quantity. Yep. If they start handing this stuff out just because you just had your gallbladder out is going to be absolute insanity. And I don't care how many single doses and you can't get it out of the hospital. It's going to go, as you say. They do. They do. Uh, I talked to a guy. I did a TV show, and this guy was on it. And he was a drug addict in recovery. Before his surgery, he said, I do not want any opioids. I'm in recovery. I do not. He woke up. There was a morphine line in him. Oh, my God. Yep. Yeah, I've heard those stories, too. It, and this, this is a, a whole other topic about health advocacy and not letting anybody alone in the hospital. I wrote a blog about it. It's so critical. Any final thoughts or words? And then you and I are going to get back together another day and have a few more conversations. Yeah, this has been fun. And hopefully we wake some adults up to what their kids or grandkids are doing. And this is a very changed world than what everybody over 30 is used to. It is. And it all, the, the change starts within our own homes. All right, Bob Stutman, thank you so much. The StutmanSwitalskiGroup.com. Thank you, Sarah. I'm talking to Robert Stutman, a 25-year veteran of the Drug Enforcement Administration, about the serious threat to society that exists as a result of the devastating drug epidemic that's overtaking America. This crisis is affecting people of all ages, genders, and social classes. But unlike drug problems of the past, this one is starting at the doctor's office and hospitals. Bob is on a mission to reverse this horrific killer. He's just one of the thousands of experts featured in our twice-monthly newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, who provide their expert advice to guide readers into action in their own lives. In addition to Bob's wisdom regarding the dangers in our medicine cabinets, Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice on all aspects of your life including living a healthy life, traveling safer and cheaper, how to find the best insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and even travel to little-known destinations. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP.